0: In episode one with Tom Burrell, president of the Black Farmers and Agriculturalist Association, we discussed him leaving the farm for college, a tour in Vietnam, and corporate America. But the farm was calling him home. Here, in episode two, Tom discusses getting started as a farmer and scaling his business from 100 acres to to over 4,000 acres in just a few short years. The platform of opportunity is indispensable. I'm Joey Bland, and from Circle O Productions, this is Seasons. Continue talking, You're, you're this young man that comes back from being in the automobile industry. Now you're on the farm, and you're... You're the young generation coming in helping the older experienced generation. How did it go building your own farming operation? And how how did you what was that experience like? Like where did you go in that?
1: Well, as I said earlier, not that I had developed an appreciation for it at the time, but in hindsight now, I realize were it not for the fact that they were surrogates, even though I may have had resources Academically speaking, I may have res- had resources in terms of knowledge and et cetera, but that fundamental resource was the fact that I had someone there to provide a quote-unquote opportunity. Mm-hmm. There are a lot, and, and I appreciate that more today because we get calls at this office from young folk in New York, in Chicago, in Carolina. They want to come back in the agriculture Hmm. But they don't have a starting point, yeah, so they don't have a grandmother, they don't have a uncle, they don't have a brother, they don't have a surrogate, and it's going to be extremely difficult for them to succeed, or at least it is going to create challenges for them because that baby step uh that nursery is not there, mm-hmm. and that's true if you talk- if you go to Montana in my opinion, South Dakota. Illinois, Pennsylvania, and ask any person who is a farmer today would they be successful were it not for the fact if they did not have, had not had a surrogate, Mm -hmm. a sister, a brother? So that transit, that platform is indispensable. Right. And that's some of the things that we're doing here with the Black Farmers and Agriculturalist Association is trying to provide a platform uh in terms of surrogates uh if you are in North Carolina do we have a member in North Carolina that you may be able to kind of like an apprentice sure uh, yeah. to work with yeah. if you're from Arkansas can we contact some of our members in Arkansas that you might be able to apprentice with but i was able as i said to go from about uh 100 acres in 1975 until about 4000 acres in Uh, six or seven years later. Wow. And it was all because, here again, I had the support of the family and and the community. Wow. Once people understood that I was serious about it, that uh, I I was passionate about it, I was willing to make the sacrifices, you'd be surprised how many people then would come out and help you. Wow. My dad used to tell me, he said, son, if your car is in the ditch and if you're on the porch— even your friends are going to pass you by. Hmm. But if you're at cars in the ditch and you're out there trying to get it out, even the people who may not like you will stop and help. Hmm. Okay, hmm. So it depends on what you are doing. Yep, uh, A lot of the help and support you're going to get is going to be a primary starting point based on your commitment, your resolve, your attitude to, towards success. Hmm. It's just something about it. Spiritually, at least, God will send the increase, as it were. Yeah, and that's what we are telling young people today. Are you serious? Are you willing to make that sacrifice? Are you going to give up? In my case, the Corvette. Are you going <laughs> to give up uh, uh, the travel? Are you going to give up the golf courts or the clubs? Are you going to give up? Are you really, really seriously committed? And if you can demonstrate that commitment, there will be resources out there to help.
0: Mm, that's a great analogy of yeah. the car being in the ditch. I love that.
1: <laughs> Thank that's you. That's great. Well, that's here again from an old man who had a third year, third grade education. There you go. My father. Yep. And back then, you got to remember, they would have ways of saying things that uh, made sense, but here again, that was perhaps void of the... Uh, more academic type analogies, analogies and parables, but they uh, they just had these old sayings. As sure, they
0: were. sure. Life sayings. Yes, that's great. So you're coming back in the mid seventies to start your farming, and you talk about this scaling up from just a few hundred acres to several thousand acres. Yes. Um, I mean, how in the world did you did you accomplish that? in In such a short period of time like what was the what was the key to that growth?
1: The key to the growth was I think that I demonstrated to a lot of people who had land who were looking for farmers that I was serious that I was committed and that uh, I had the at least uh, wherewithal and it was just there was this gravitational yeah to help to lend support yeah. So uh, it was not without challenges, but keep, keep in mind. Sure. Uh, today, you almost have to have that amount of acres to be what we would call a row crop farmer. Right. Because of the, co- the cost of equipment. But in the early 70s, that was a relatively large operation. Really large? Yes.
0: And I guess, you know, in, in the event that someone that would be listening doesn't quite understand, if someone's a landowner, not all landowners farm. So that's one point. A lot of people own land that are not operators. They're not farmers. They're not growers. So they're looking for someone that they would trust. Someone that is is a good farmer because you're actually stewarding their land. You're, Precisely. You're, you're taking care of their soil. You know you, you can you can deplete it or you can also do things that will really make the longevity of it. Um, a lot more beneficial. And so you had people that really saw, this is somebody I can trust, and this is someone that's doing a really good job because the way that they would get paid is you would be paying them some rent. Precisely. Doing that, and, and that investment was paying off for them. Correct? That's the way yes. the model kind of works.
1: And maintaining, as you said, being a good steward of the land. Right. Uh, even today, we have some farms that are least that, uh, we're allow, allowing the land now to lay fallow mm. for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, to not farm the land, just just overly farming. To, to lend, uh, I guess, to use the, uh, to paraphrase the gospel, we're letting the land rest. Right. And showing that uh, for erosion, for letting the grass grow back, letting X grow back, to allow the land to be available for the next Future generations,
0: right, right, which is which is wise, but that's also
1: hard to do, right? Because it is extremely hard to do. Y-
0: you're you're renting this land, precisely, but you're not necessarily getting income constantly yeah. off of this land,
1: precisely. But you're
0: really trying to do what's the best for the
1: for the dirt, because the landowner is going to want his rent, mm-hmm. but in the long term, though, uh, it will, in our opinion, make up for that year or so. That it uh, that it will follow or yeah. rest it, as it were, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in terms of yields, in terms of increases. Yeah, uh, it's just something about allowing anything to kind of catch its breath and rest. Uh, to paraphrase the gospel, to allow the land to enjoy its Sabbath, as it were. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. There's probably a lesson in there for all of us as humans, too, isn't there?
1: Yeah, I think he also <laughs> said to land the land ought to rest, and we ought to be able to take one day out of the week to do, this, to do the same.
0: Yeah. That's right. That's right, because yeah. today, uh, with, our, with the things in our hands and those little things we type on constantly, uh, it's kind of hard to get away from it a lot of times, Pers- but that's a great principle.
1: It is indeed. Great. Excellent point. That's a principle. And ordinary principles tend to pay off in the long run if it's a principle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So what were you, you know, growing? Because I'm assuming that as you got bigger, you probably had to get a little more specialized in what you were growing, that you just you, you didn't have, you know, a lot of things. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that I may be wrong, but with an operation that big, you're spread pretty thin, I Precisely. would say. Precisely. And, and so, like, what kind of crops did you focus on as you grew?
1: Uh, to that point, uh, Joey, uh, you will recall earlier, we talked about years ago that in order to sustain a family, you would have to have X, you would have to have Y. You had peas, you had okra, you had cow, you had hogs, you had chicken. That was Back during, I would say, the pre 70s, 80s farming era. Right, right. But now, when equipment is costing as much as it is, tractors, to your point, you would have to become specialized. Right. So now you've got, to use the phrase again, a portfolio of about maybe three to four different commodities mm-hmm. cotton, soybeans, perhaps uh, corn where you can make sure that that piece of equipment now is being utilized uh, more Mm -hmm. and more efficiently. So you're going to limit it to about three to four commodities. And so we were able, in the 80s, to limit it to cotton, soybeans, and basically just corn.
0: Mm -hmm. Interesting. That's a great way to explain it. The cost, I think, of kind of the invention of the – of the, or or the growth of the grocery store and convenience for people, as being an element in that as well. That um, you know, you could go buy eggs, or you could go buy these Precisely. things. That that in the forties, uh, you know, you were primarily just growing those, or or they were they were being cultivated on your farm, but then also bringing in equipment cost and uh, kind of the farming economics that if something's not out there working, um, you're not paying for it. Precisely. And so you need it in motion and you need it working to to be able to pay. Yeah, that's interesting. So how did you handle, you know, a lot, I hear a lot of people and I was in high school at this time, but there was a real downturn in, in the early eighties around 1980 in farming, correct?
1: Yes. And how
0: did that affect you?
1: It affected me because I lost uh, some of my farming operation, mm-hmm. but I made a transition. I went into the food service industry. Okay. Agriculture being in my blood, uh, I went to the next level, as it were. I reduced the production and increased the marketing. Huh. So I created a food service company, and I started to buy now other products and sell those products to uh, Food stores, as a matter of fact, I had a food service company in Chicago. Wow. Where I would uh, purchase food here uh, in the Memphis and Tennessee area and move it to grocery stores there in the Chicago region. You had the Jewel Tees, Chicago, and some of the Midwestern towns had what we would refer to as not as many chain stores, Mm -hmm. but mom and pop stores. Mm mom-and-pop stores were easier to sell to because they didn't have to go through the board of directors to decide to buy your particular product. Right. So it made it easier for me then to be able to take food from here, uh, Tennessee and Kentucky and Mississippi, and retail those products basically in, in the Midwest. So mm. I've been in exporting, importing, Uh, purchasing food, ham and commodities from Hungary, and uh, got into paper products. And when I knew anything, I was basically selling to government agencies, hospitals, And that's how I basically survived the downturn in the 80s. Wow. And that was where I guess my academia came in. Yeah. And my marketing experience was uh, a benefit to me.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I guess you saw that you had to make some kind of pivot to be able to survive. Precisely. Because you go through, I mean, that's farming, right? You're in a 10-year cycle. I don't know what it is. You're probably going to have six or seven pretty good years, but you're going to have two or three or four Pretty
1: bad years. That's true, basically, Joey. In farming, I guess uh, the automobile industry has cycles. Mm. Uh, The computer industry, the oil industry has cycles. That's another principle. So you just have to know that these cycles are going to happen. Mm. You're going to have highs and lows. The question is, what now other commodity or product can I introduce to the equation to offset the cash flow or the lack thereof, mm-hmm. doing that trough, doing that valley. Mm-hmm. And that's basically where now you have to have another portfolio of commodities. And that commodity may be not what I'm growing, but I may be able to offset my losses in growing by buying and selling. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, rather than, say, being able to grow peas and melons and eggs and poultry. Or be, uh, from growing cotton, I may now have to buy those items and sell to uh, accommodate uh, what I would lose, basically, from the growing standpoint. Mm -hmm. And it worked. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I've been in agriculture now on some level. Uh, All of my life, I have uh, worked with processors, what we call further processors, retailers, exporters, the whole nine yards. So dealing with just not only... The growing of, say, corn, but now working with people like General Mills, making corn flakes, uh, working with corporations, uh, the McDonald's, the Cargill's, the et cetera, the others. Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's fascinating from the whole aspect of uh, really the sustainability of your land, leaving land that is fallow for a year or two, letting it. Letting it kind of um,
1: regenerate itself. precisely.
0: Let it feed itself and, and get healthier to you having to kind of weave and bob and, and figure out how to maintain a business even when things are on the downturn. And yet you're very innovative in the way that you've been able to do that over the years.
1: Well thank you for that. but yes, we've been able to do that. And I would think I would like to think my uncles. And my father and mother would be proud. Uh, We've got the homeland now, the home farm Mm. in Simpson County that's been laying fallow now for about four years. And that's a testimony to, I want to just have this testimony to my mom and dad Mm. to show them that I appreciate the farm and that uh, we want to make sure it's available for their great-great-great-grandchildren. And uh, so I had some farmers say, "Hey, well, why don't you grow this and why don't you plant?" Well, we just want to let it rest for a while. Yeah. So I cut the grass. Just when uh, we got tractors that just will do nothing but just keep the weeds and keep the grass Mm down. But it's a testimony to here again, my mom and my dad. Yeah. Those family and my belief in uh, that provision, uh, that principle of allowing you know, the land to rest, periodically. Yeah,
0: wow, that's insightful. Tom was fortunate to have an opportunity provided by those that went before him. The platform of opportunity is indispensable. Principles guide growth and thriving in both Tom and his farming operation. The principle of rest and regeneration was essential for growing a successful farming business and personal progression. At Seasons Podcast, our purpose is to educate people about land investment, with the goal of seeing a hundred people who don't currently own land become landowners. Our method is helping people reconnect with land through hearing other people's stories. For more information, go to our website, delta-farmland.com. Thank you for joining us today.